Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Shooting the Sports Podcast with Ebony and Ivory. My name's Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick, and I'm the Ivory. Welcome into Episode 7. Today we got a good one for you. We're going to go over the world of sports, stuff that's been going on uh, the last week or so. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs, matchups, and how those are going. And then we got a real special one for you coming up at the end, uh, something we're not going to tell you yet. We'll leave that for the end. But it's definitely something that's going to be interesting to you guys. If you know John and I's background, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting interesting conversation. Uh, make sure you guys stay tuned for that one. Uh, but I want to start it off and talk about something that I seen happen last weekend that I don't think I've ever seen or heard of in sports. Uh, surprisingly, it's happened like five times previously to this. But the Cincinnati Reds they gave up zero hits in the game, had zero errors. And they lost the game, one to nothing. Now, like I said, I didn't even realize that was possible. I didn't. I don't even know how you can do that. Apparently, what happened was they walked a few batters, and somebody grounded into a fielder's choice. That runner from third scored. The game ended one to nothing. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Never, never heard about anything like that. The last time it happened, actually. It was back in 2008. The Angels actually did it. Two of their pitchers combined for a no-hitter, and they still lost the game. They committed a few errors in that game to allow the runners to score. So I you know, I can see how that could happen, but wow. Just blew my mind when I seen that. That popped up on the TV, and I, I could not believe that. Well, there's a first time for everything, isn't there? Yeah. Well, apparently that's the sixth time. That's uh, Like I said, they're the oh. sixth team in history to throw a no-hitter and lose <laughs> the game. Uh, but something else that's... Pretty uh, pretty interesting going on. It's actually happening as we speak, but uh, Tiger Woods is back. I don't know if you heard about that one, but that's been uh, been in the news a little bit lately. Oh, Tiger you, Woods oh, is back. Tiger? Yeah, little, yeah, old Tiger. Yeah, heard something about that. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's going. He's back in the PGA Championship at uh, Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Playing. I believe he um, said his uh, legs not bothering him very much either. No, no, I don't believe it is. I heard something right before we started recording. I heard the announcers say something about a wayward ball from a different tee that actually came towards his group's way. And I guess everybody kind of jumped out of the way and they said Tiger was kind of walking a little gingerly on his ankle afterwards. Uh, They think he might've twisted his ankle when he was moving out of the way of that ball. But I guess him and him and Rory and Jordan Spieth are all in a group together. I guess the three of them almost got hit by this ball. And so I don't know. Like I said, we started recording right after that, so I don't know currently what the update is on that, but it's definitely something I'm going to have to keep an eye on. It's something we'll probably talk about next week. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, if he if he's hurt, that's definitely something we're going to be talking about. Um, and if he wins, you know, obviously that's something we'll talk about. Either way, I'm sure we'll talk about Tiger Woods. You know, everybody everybody loves Tiger. We love talking about Tiger. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about before we get into the thick of things. Um, so, did you hear about Nick Saban? Uh, apparently, everyone's been upset with the whole NIL deal, but apparently, when Saban speaks, he's a god. That's a that's according to you know Jimbo Fisher. But apparently, Saban's really upset because uh, he feels like NIL deals are pretty much buying recruits, and uh, took the time at a local press conference to call out Jimbo Fisher actually, and uh, basically said Texas A&M bought their recruiting class of last year because they finished second, and Texas A&M finished. First and uh, 
Jimbo Fisher didn't take too kindly to that. Basically said Saban's not a god. So um, kind of just what are your thoughts on NIL? Do you, do you feel like that's – do you feel like Saban's got a point? Are you more on the Saban or Jimbo Fisher side of things? You know, I don't pay too much attention to what Nick Saban does. I'm, I'm not an Alabama fan. I As far as NIL goes, to answer your question, I, I love it. I think it's I think it's a positive thing. It's just these kids are playing for these schools that are making – tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. And these kids are struggling through college. You know, we were both college kids. You know how college kids live. It's ramen noodles. It, ramen noodles sometimes right out of the package. You don't even cook them. But that's yep. another conversation for a different day. <laughs> we, I don't want to go back to that time. But it allows these kids who are busting their ass for these schools to to make a little bit of money on the side. You know, if if a if a local local business wants to pay a kid, you know, $10,000 because he's the star player at the local university. Great. Good for that kid. I don't, I don't think it's hurting anybody. I I think the one thing it is allowing these schools to do and to get away with a little bit more. And what I think Jimbo's trying to, trying to hint at is it's a, these schools are almost allowed to pay these kids now because you can consider an endorsement. You know, if they, if, I'm sure Nick Saban is is friends with a few guys that own some major companies, you know, and I'm sure he can get I'm sure he can get his kids you know sponsorships and endorsements and things like that pretty easily. So, and you know, some people might consider that buying your players and some might not, but you know, that's the gray area of NIL, but I think as a whole, it's great for it's great for the athletes. I agree. I think as a whole it's great for the athletes, I guess. You know, my my point you know, I don't feel like schools should be able to do that. You know, that's the whole point of college recruiting is to keep it fresh. But I mean, also at the same time, you, you also have, well, some schools are bigger than others and can offer more, even if money wasn't a factor. So might as well put money on the table to let some of these schools compete. So I go, I, I feel like overall, it's good for the kids. But like everything else in life, you know, people find loopholes and take advantage of it. And I think that's my major issue. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think schools should be allowed to do that, but it's one of those things where how can you how can you prove it, you know, with kids being allowed to accept endorsements and and money from from companies? How can you prove that it wasn't the school quote buying the player, you know? That's oh, that, like 100%. I said that's the gray area and that's that's what's going to be tough to tough to prove for or against. I 100% agree. That's uh that's going to do it for What's been going on around the around the sports world currently? Let's jump right into right into the NBA playoffs. Might as well start with the Man. game that's going on tonight. Game two is going to be happening tonight. Heat versus Celtics. Uh, Heat ter- Heat, excuse me, took game one. Uh, they're leading it one nothing. That was a uh, that was an interesting interesting game. I, I did not expect that outcome. What about well? The, so let's just you? jump right into it. What do you what's what are you calling the series? Let's let's go ahead and get the prediction oh, out. And then oh, let's we're talk gonna, about the series. Oh, we're just gonna rip the band-aid off. Okay. We're just gonna um, rip the band-aid off. What, what do you what do you got and then let's talk about last night's game? I'm taking Celtics and seven. All right. Well, I mean, I told you earlier off the podcast that I, I thought this game was gonna go seven games and I thought we were gonna have different choices in this, and I was right, because I've also got to go in seven games, but I've got the heat in seven. Uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna not gonna argue with that. I don't think I don't think that's unrealistic. Re- I mean, I think both teams could win it in in six or seven, realistically. But I think it's gonna come down to whatever team is able to win on the road. 
that's going to be the the major difference, especially with this series. I think the two teams are so evenly matched. If you look at the team stats side by side for game one, it was almost identical. You know, the Heat made a couple more shots. They made a couple more free throws. Add those points up, and it's exactly the amount that they won by. Well, I'm going to use your own point against you because the reason I've got the Heat in seven has nothing to do with stats or matchups or anything like that. It's what we always used to say in the NCAA tournament time, which is what wins, Nick, experience. Yeah. And the Heat, in my opinion, have players that have been here before more so than the Celtics and know how to handle this moment. I disagree. I think the Celtics have, they have plenty of players that have been in the semifinals or conference finals and they have the experience. So I I don't think that point's valid, but I think I, I just think and and I, and I'm not I'm not don't hear what I'm not saying. I think the experience overall, as far as the NBA, the the Heat are a more seasoned team when it comes to their players. That makes sense. Okay, I can I can see that. I can see that. I mean, I think we can both agree though that the matchup between Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum is just so much fun to watch. Oh my gosh, these two guys. It's like watching a one-on-one matchup almost. It's it's amazing. I mean, the, they're both at the top of their game right now. Jimmy Butler, some might argue that he's a little past his prime, but he sure ain't playing like it. You know, Jason Tatum's only 24, 25 years old. He's just going to keep getting better. He's probably just hitting his prime. Yeah, that, that matchup's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But like I said, I think it's going to come down to what team can get it done on the road. If the Celtics can win in Miami, I think I think they got a good shot to do it. But the Heat are going to have Game Seven. I personally think if it gets that far, I think I think the Heat will take take that game on the road. I think they have pretty much. I pretty much think it's the same point that you just made. I think the Celtics have the experience to beat the Heat on the road in a Game Seven. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. It'll be because it will be home. It will be in Miami Game Seven. Game Seven will be Miami. Yeah, they're the higher seed. Yes, they're the number one seed. So, like I said, the Celtics are going to have to get it done on the road. And I think I think they have the experience to win a road playoff game to to get that done. I agree. I think I think honestly, I think both of them end up trading road wins. So um, you know, with what you're saying, the Celtics, you know, taking it in seven. I think whoever gets to two games first on the road wins. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. No, you know, and the uh, the role players they're going to be they're going to be huge in that series too. The Heat. Only run a few players. They play their starters a lot, you know. As do the Celtics. Those bench players are going to be key. We know what the starters are going to do. Those bench players are going to be real key. But speaking of bench players, I think they're going to be even more important in this other series that we have going on. Warriors this versus is probably Mavs. your favorite one. Definitely my favorite one. Uh, Luca's one of my favorite <laughs> players to watch. The Warriors are one of my favorite teams to watch. Warriors are up one nothing right now. We're going to rip the bandaid off with this one too. I say it's going to be Warriors in six. And you and I would have the exact same game with the exact same prediction. Um, look, we all know what Luca can do. Yeah. Luca is yeah. a superstar. He's dominant. Pick pick your word, what you want to call Luca. But when you're combining, like you said earlier, two of the best shooters in the league with Clay Thompson and Seth Curry, Draymond Green, you can do a little bit of everything. And the emergence of pool, I don't think the Mavericks have anyone else. And you're yeah, not even so Luke, and you're not even talking about Andrew Wiggins, who's been playing outstanding the last few exactly. games. Exactly, great so defender. For me, 
It's Warriors in six. I honestly won't be surprised if the Warriors get it done in five. And that's simply because I think this has been a dream that the Mavs have done. I think everyone had them bouncing out round one or two. Um, the fact that they're in the, you know, conference finals, um, I think is a huge achievement to them for where they've been. Hats off to them. But I think they definitely need a little bit more. And I think the Warriors are on a mission. No one thought the Warriors were going to be here at the end of the year. No, I mean, they had all the injuries. Everybody was getting healthy. And it was one of those things. They were kind of an unknown. You know, nobody really knew what they were going to do in the playoffs, like you said. So, but they're hitting their stride right now, you know, and just to prove to you and just to show you how, how great they played in that first game against Luca, he only made six shots the entire game. The last time he made six or less shots was back on March 21st against Minnesota. He only had five in that game. And so, I mean, it's been two months and this guy has just been playing outstanding, hasn't hit less in two months. So. To, Correct me if to, I'm wrong. Most of them, most of the other points were at the line, were they not? Yeah, most of yeah, most of his free throws are at the line. He only scored 20 points, and had a, had a he, even a that James Harden game. Even that he hasn't done. Well, no, he actually Luca actually shot the ball, but <laughs> um, Luca only only had 20 points, and the last time he scored under 24 was again March 21st, that same game against Minnesota. So, you know, the Warriors they just play great team defense against him. And they're just a fun team to watch. They had seven guys in double figures in game one. That's just, that's, first of all, that's tough to do against any team, regardless of who they have on the floor, let alone two of the greatest shooters, you know, a Swiss Army knife and Draymond Green and some of these young guys like Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins playing defense, scoring 15, 16 points a game. Hard to beat a team so, like that. Obviously, we'll talk about it in the weeks to come, but I'm assuming. We're just going to lock it in right now. You've got Warriors and Celtics. I've got Warriors and Heat in the finals. And we'll obviously talk about those matchups depending on what happens later in the week. So um, looking back on it, not what I predicted. Both the teams that I had making it are gone. No, no. Let me let me ask you this, though, first. Do you think Luka can win this series by himself? Do you think no. there's a world, no, do you see a scenario where he gets hot and takes over this series and just wins it by himself? So I mean, obviously, I see a I see a path to Luca just putting the team on his back and grabbing a couple wins. But I think the Warriors are just that good, uh, and they play that kind of team basketball where it's like you're pretty much playing five on one. You know, Luca can do his thing. I think we'll see two, maybe three games of Luca just going off 40, 45 points. Um, but at the end of the day. The Warriors are a scoring machine, plus they know how to play defense. I yep. mean, if you ever want to know how to play defense against Luka, look at that. Like, like we always we always go back to this game in the NFL. Like, no one knew how to stop the Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And then you look at the Buccaneers and what they did in the Super Bowl, and everyone has done that since. Like, the Buccaneers literally gave the blueprint on how to stop Patrick Mahomes. The Warriors last night literally laid out the blueprint on how to stop Luka. You just couldn't help yourself with the Bucks reference, could you? I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. Uh, of course not. <laughs> I knew it. Well, so it worked. It worked, though. It worked. It did. It did. So, since we got Celtics <laughs> Warriors, let me ask you this. I'm just going to get it out of the way now. Who do you got winning? We both have. You, I'm sorry. You have Heat Warriors. I have Celtics mm-hmm. Warriors. Heat Warriors. Who do you have winning? Ooh, man, that oof. That's a hard one because 
I love, love, love the defense the Heat are playing. I really do. I think their defense is what's willed them this far, and I think their defense would ultimately will them to a championship. <sighs> I mean, if we're gonna, if we're not gonna wait to talk about it. No, I, I want to hear. I want to hear your answer. I want to hear your answer off the top of your head. Who's winning? Heat and Heat and Warriors. You don't have to tell me how many games. You don't have to tell me how no, many I games. Ha- I know how many games. I think because I think if it's the Warriors and the Heat, I think it's gonna go seven, and I think it's okay. the Warriors. Okay. I I think Warriors Celtics. I think the Warriors win it as well. I don't know how Will many games. Tell me how many games. I don't know how many games. I. I want to say I want to say in six, but the Celtics are so good. I would not be surprised if it went seven. And if it goes seven, don't don't count on beating Clay and Steph. I think I think the Warriors are out to prove everyone wrong. I think everyone discounted them because of the injuries and everything. And I think they are on a mission to prove people wrong. Yeah, I think it's their year. I think they missed being in the playoffs, and they're really enjoying the run right now. I don't. I don't see them slowing down. Plus, like I said, the style of basketball that they play—it's just so fun to watch. And whether they win or lose, it's just going to be a lot of lot of fun watching that watching that series. Whether they play the Heat or the Celtics. But that's going to bring us to the last part of this podcast. And this is one that I'm not going to lie. I was a little hesitant to agree to this and to put this in there. But this is an idea that you came up with, and I. I at first, like I said, I was hesitant to say yes, but then I thought about it, and I actually love this idea. So as everybody knows, I'm a diehard Duke fan. John is a die yeah, right, so shocking. John is a diehard Carolina fan. We came up with this idea to make a list of the best player at each position, a starting five for each school. But the catch was we had to do the other person's school, the rival school. So I'm going to be giving you North Carolina's best player at each position. John's going to be giving you the best player for Duke's position, or best player at each position for Duke. I mean, maybe if Duke recruited UNC players, you guys would be up 6-5 instead of us. So. Well, you know, we can, we can debate these lineups afterwards, no, just... but that's, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, we can debate these lineups afterwards, but we'll get into it. So. I'll go ahead and rip the bandit off. You, well, you I'll, go ahead. I'll... You go ahead and you can start. I'm going to read you what I came up with as a Duke fan. I'll tell you who I came up with as my starting five um, for so each position. Want to do so? Or you want to? Do you want to do, do uh, same team and stick with what I did with Duke and what you did with Duke? Or do you? You, go you can start. I'll, I'll tell you who I had for the position. You can go ahead and give me your opinion on the best player at that position. So for the best player. Best point guard, excuse me, in Duke history. I don't think there's any question. It's Bobby Hurley. So who did you come 100%. up with? 100%. Okay. I got Bobby Hurley down there as well. Okay. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to argue. It's really hard to argue. I mean, when you look at what the man has done um, in the 90s, he was just a force. He was. He was. You know, won a couple championships for us. He was... Final Four Most Outstanding Player, NCAA's All-Time Assist Leader. His number's retired in the rafters. Yeah, he, he's won pretty much every award you can think of. What about, and let, let's just go opposite. Let's do this. UNC, best point guard. I have 
Ty Lawson. Okay. I had Raymond Felton. Interesting. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. The reason I think it's Raymond Felton, not because Ty Lawson wasn't great. I think Ty Lawson was a great point guard. I actually debated the two of them for quite a while and who I thought was the best. And in the end, I just, I felt like it was Raymond Felton. He won a championship in 2005. He was the Bob Cousy award winner, which goes to the nation's best point guard. He was first team all ACC in 2005, uh, third team all American. He was two time third team all ACC, ACC all freshman in 2003. Carolina honored his number which, interesting fact, I actually learned about Carolina while researching some of these uh, players was Carolina doesn't retire everybody's number. You have to win specific awards to get yep. your number retired by Carolina, but they honor, they have a ring of honor that they, basically, like I said, they'll honor a number. So, for example, Raymond Felton's number two is honored by North Carolina. It's not necessarily retired, but he met the criteria, which was making an all, you know, all American team, NCAA championship, things like that. So he got his number on it. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting fact. So my whole thing is the reason I chose Ty Lawson is for the same reason why I loved Magic Johnson with the Lakers. Shout out Laker fan. He had a packed and stacked team. His junior year, it was Lawson, Hansborough, Danny Green, Wayne Ellington, not to mention a bench as long as I don't know what. Mm -hmm. And this man finished 16.6 points, almost seven assists and two steals during his final season. ACC player of the year award over, over Hansborough and won a nat natty, finished it with 21 points. But my biggest three thing is... He's not a, just a point guard. He can shoot the ball. 47% from beyond the arc. Third best in UNC history. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm i really not going not gonna to argue with that too much. I debated the two of them for quite a while. And in the end, it just it really just came down to Raymond Felton for me. He was, it, it, like I said, it just, it, it was very slim. There was really... I really don't even have a great reason why he came down as the tiebreaker, but the Bob Cousy award winner, that was huge. Uh, he was, I believe he was one of the first or he was the first Carolina point guard to win that since I think Phil Ford won it in the sixties or seventies for you guys. So it had been quite a while. That was a pretty impressive accomplishment. And like I said, it really just came down to that. No, I feel you on that one. I feel you on that one. But the next position, honestly, I think this one's pretty easy and pretty self-explanatory for both teams. Two of the greatest players that really ever played for both schools. Uh, we'll start with you. If you don't have J.J. Redick, I am ending this podcast right now, and we're probably just closing up shop. Who's J.J. Redick? <laughs> <laughs> of course, as much as it pains me. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Of course, I've got J.J. Redick. I mean, the man did everything but walk your dog and wash your dishes. Um, I don't think there's too much else to say. The man is the single greatest shooting guard of all time in Duke. And I don't see anyone overtaking that in the one-and-done era anytime soon. I mean, some would argue he's one of the greatest college shooting guards of all time. Eh, 
Eh, pipe that down a little bit. Pipe that down a little, just a wee bit, Mister Bias. Mister Bias. I, it just depends on how you define the shooting guard position. It's played different ways. Well, go ahead. I know you're foaming at the mouth. Talk to me about your boy, JJ Redick. By the way, I would just like to go on record is Nick's favorite Duke player, and that was known because he actually named his late dog JJ. I did. I did, and I would. Yeah, I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> no, he was – what's there to say about J.J. Reddick? Two-time consensus first-team All-American. He was third-team All-American in 04. He Two-time ACC tournament MVP. First-team – two-time first-team All-ACC. Number four is retired by Duke. He's a two-time uh, Rupp Award winner. Um, this man led the nation in scoring as a shooter. He wasn't a guy like, a, like an Anthony Edwards who's going to attack the paint. You know, he did it more like like Steph Curry does, making his living outside the three-point line. And that was just, I think that was more impressive than anything. You know, I remember watching some games, him dropping 42, 41-42 against Texas. And which, fun fact, I actually heard a story that Kevin Durant, as a recruit for Texas, drove into town for that game and watched J.J. Redick drop 40 points on Texas. And he said it was he said it was the longest drive back home. He said he was so pissed off driving home, and he was just cussing J.J. Redick out the whole time. So I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, Redick, hands down, probably the greatest Duke player of all time, my opinion. So I'm going to go ahead and echo what you said. And we're talking about the UNC's best shooting guard. And if you don't have Michael Jordan... I mean, do you even know college basketball? Like, why are we even doing this podcast? What do you know about sports? So I'm going <laughs> to assume you've got Michael Jordan down. And I would also like to say, I, you said he, some would say he's the best shooting guard in JJ. I'm going to have to go with Mike. I'm going to have to go with Mike. And again, that's why I said, of course, I have Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But that's also, <laughs> what, but that's also why I said what I said. You know, he threw he threw that middle name in there. It depends on how you define the shooting guard position. Michael Jordan, he loved to attack. He loved to get into the paint. He loved to pull up on the the mid range jump shot. That was Michael Jordan's style. JJ Redick lived outside on the three point line. Now, again, if we're just talking college accomplishments, I would put JJ Redick's accomplishments up against Michael Jordan's. But with that being said, it's hard to argue. Michael Jordan is your guys' greatest shooting guard ever. He won you guys a championship in 1982. He won the player of the hit year. Hit the game-winning shot, by the way. Hit the game-winning shot. He was ACC player of the year in 84, two-time All-American in 83 and 84. Mm-hmm. Freshman his, of the year. Freshman of the year in 82, yeah. His, uh, his number 23 is retired <laughs> by not only North Carolina, but pretty much everyone. I don't – yeah, I don't really have an argument – like I said, the shooting guard position was pretty self-explanatory on both sides. Yep, finished his career with almost 18 points a game, five rebounds and two assists, which is actually pretty shocking for Michael Jordan. You would think those numbers were up a little bit more, but um, yeah. But you forget he was playing with some outstanding players, and yes, I'm going to foreshadow a little bit. We're probably going to talk about a couple of those coming up. So You're not wrong. So we get to the number three of Duke. The best small forward I of all time. actually like this guy, personally, even though he went to Duke. I think, think he made a mistake. 
I think it's a, I, I would agree with you there. I think he is probably, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think he might be the least hated Duke player of all time. I would 100% agree with that. And that man's name is Grant Hill. Yes, he is. If that, that you know, that, as a Duke fan, as the resident Duke fan here, that's our greatest small forward. His accomplishments speak for themselves. Go ahead and rattle them off. Yeah, two-time NCAA champion, consensus first-team All-American, 1994, consensus second-team All-American in the year before, 93, where he also won the National Defensive Player of the Year Award, ACC Player of the Year in 94, two-time first-team All-ACC, second-team All-ACC, number 33 is retired in the rafters. He had a great college career. Uh, There's not much else to say. We would not have won our championships in 91 and 92 without Grant Hill. Plain and simple. And what I loved about Grant Hill, you know, know, not talking about his stats or anything, is he did everything. The man did everything. Yes, he did. Grant Hill was... and, And he was a defensive powerhouse. Yeah, like I said, defensive player of the year in, in 94, or excuse me, in 1993. He was, you know, and this is an observer as a Duke fan, but I would say he's probably Coach K's favorite all-time player. You could just tell the relationship the two of them had while he played for Duke. It was unlike unlike anything else. But let's move on to your number three, your best small yes. forward of all time. Now this one... I actually had mine changed a little bit. Um, I ch- actually changed it right before we started recording this. But who do you have as our resident Carolina fan? Who do you have as the greatest small forward in Carolina history? Well, believe it or not, this man actually played for my favorite NBA team as well. So that definitely helped. Mr. James Worthy. Yeah, I and- agree with that one. I mean, what do you say about him? Not only was this man a first-team All-American, he also shared National Player of the Year while winning a national championship with MJ on the team as a freshman. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, and that's that's what I was talking about earlier. You know, you were talking about Michael Jordan's stats being surprisingly low for, for a guy like him. Look at the guys he was playing with. You know, James Worthy is a future, he's a Hall of Famer. And... Michael Jordan was playing with a guy like that in the starting lineup, sharing sharing the rock with a guy like that. So, yeah, it's it's not surprising, but it's all it is surprising. Jordan's stats for his college career, but like yeah, you know, like I said, you got a guy like James Worthy playing alongside of you. That's not that's nothing to shake your head at. But it's no wonder they won the championship in 1982. I mean, look at that. But that's a stacked team. Yeah, you got you you got your point guard. Whoever you could roll anybody out at point guard, and you got Michael Jordan and James Worthy on the wings. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to run into that team. I wouldn't run into that team. But he was NCAA Final Four Most Outstanding Player uh, in 1982 as well. So Worthy was the he was the man in that tournament. Yes, Jordan hit the game winning shot, but Worthy was the man. So I guess that brings us to the number four spot. And I'll go ahead and say this: this was actually. Even though Grant Hill was the most liked, this was probably my favorite Duke player. I can't believe those words uttered through my mouth. And that's a little bit of foreshadowing because I think UNC's four is actually your most disliked player of all time. Yes. Yeah. But number four. Not looking forward to that. Number four all time position, Shane Battier. Um, I could tell you what this guy didn't do. That would probably take less time. 
I mean, 97, 98 ACC freshman, all uh, all freshman, um, made third team all ACC the following year. You know, 99 all American. I mean, what what didn't this guy do? You know, I'm I, I disagree on that pick. However, it's not because he's not as good or wasn't better than this player or this player is better than him. The player that I have actually played the same year as Shane Battier. They both won a championship together in 2001. However, I always considered, as a Duke fan, I always considered Shane Battier more of a small forward than a power forward. So therefore, my vote for greatest power forward in Duke history is Carlos Boozer. I, I don't think we've had a four-man that has has been as as great as Carlos Boozer. It, it wasn't that he wowed you with all of his accomplishments. You know, his his accolades aren't a mile long. He, but he won a title with us in 2001. He was an All-American. He was first-team All-ACC. He won the ACC Tournament MVP in 2002. And he was just a fan favorite. Carlos Boozer came, came with it every night. And his, his stats backed it up. You know, he was one of our best scorers on one of our best teams that we had. And like I said, I'm not going to argue with you on, on Shane Battier. You can consider him a four. Don't disagree with that. Just personally, when, with that lineup, because they played together, Battier played a lot of three, Boozer played the four and the five. Um, I'll give you that one. But when Boozer played the five, Battier was playing the four. So they were interchangeable, but I, was, I always consider Boozer the four man. Um, so that was that's where my vote's going to go. But I love I love the Shane Battier pick. Love it. So this next one, I've been waiting all week for this just because Nick hates talking about this player. Nick, who is the greatest power forward of all time in UNC history? You know, and I'm going to let you read the stats too. I'm just just I'm just I'm just going to I'm just going to jump right into it. Not only yeah, is this guy is. not only is this guy the greatest UNC power forward. He's probably the greatest and most accomplished UNC player in history. And don't disagree. That's Tyler Hansborough. Can't stand the guy. Um, one of my favorite, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite images is the one of him crying with his bloody nose after Gerald Henderson, you know, caught him with an elbow. It's one of my favorite pictures ever. Uh, but this dude won a natty in 2009 with you guys. He was a national player of the year, ACC player of the year. ACC tournament MVP in 2008. He was a three-time consensus first-team All-American in 07 to 09 and a consensus second-team All-American his freshman year in 2006, along with being the National Freshman of the Year and being on the All-Freshman team. Oh, and this man they retired his 20, number, and they retired his number 50 jersey. So this man averaged 20 points a game over his career, not in a season over his four years at UNC, averaged, with all the talent they had, still averaged over 20 points a game. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm not here to, I'm not here to dog your, your players, but this is the only guy that I'm probably going to have anything negative to say about him. He, the reason, he, in my opinion, that he was so hated was, I think, I think the, the infamous elbow, I think that added to it, but it was the fact that but it was the fact that he came in from day one and just killed us from day one as a freshman. And it was the fact that he doesn't have a real skill, you know, and that's evident at his NBA career after, after he graduated, 
He was a lottery pick and only lasted a few years, and now he's playing overseas. So, and I'm not knocking playing overseas. I, I playing overseas is is great, but when you're an NBA lottery pick, that shouldn't be where you're at in, th- in four or five years. You know, that, that's all, that's all I'm getting at. But he didn't have a real skill, and I think the fact that he just came in and grabbed offensive rebounds and put a, you know had putbacks and just got all these little garbage easy points. I think that really irked a lot of Duke fans, especially me. Um, he just was one of those guys. It, it, be, it would have been different if he had a 40-inch vertical or if he could hit threes from from half court. or you know, If he had some type of real skill that killed us over and over and over, I think there would have been more of a respect level there, at least from my end. But So for me, the reason I think Tyler Hansborough was, was the way he was, take the stats out, athleticism, all that. I think he is probably one of the few UNC players that had a genuine hate for Duke. All UNC players and fans do do not like Duke, but I think he had a genuine over-the-top hate. Oh, he did. He embraced that rivalry. And it fueled him. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like he was the LeBron James with the black mask hated. Like, he knew he wasn't liked, and he was fueled off of it. Yeah. He, and if you want to get into stats, this man being a power forward still shot 80% from the free throw line and almost 35% from the three, and that's as a power forward. Wow. Yeah, he he, he was he was great, you know. Like him or not, he was really good. He was a great player. Anybody that is a three-time consensus first-team All-American – that's you know they get they deserve a little respect. Unfortunately, that stat comes after the name Tyler Hansborough, and I'm sorry, but that man gets no respect from me. Um, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I'm I, I can't I can't give him any any respect. Uh, but let's well, let's finally move on. Speaking from, of hated, speaking from, of hated players. Yeah, and and speaking of hated players. Speaking of hated players, the best center in Duke history is. Probably argue, the most hated the most, player. I would say arguably the most hated college college player of all time. I would honestly. I would agree with that, and I think he would agree with that. And I'm pretty he sure Ian would agree with that, considering they did a whole thirty for thirty about him. <laughs> that name is Christian fucking Leitner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this fucking guy. So I I think what 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 did me the most and the reason I hated Christian Leitner the most is for the same reason that you hated Tyler Hansborough. The man knew he was hated and didn't freaking care. No, he didn't. He embraced it he just like Hansborough. Embraced it. And I mean there what well, there's not much what else can you say about the man? I mean, he was everywhere I'm sure everyone has seen the ESPN 30 for 30. I mean, the man was a walking double-double almost. Yeah. With the exception of his freshman year. Yep. Um, You know, his last year averaging 21.5 points, almost eight rebounds. Um, I mean, he led the Blue Devils to a 34-2 and record his senior year. We took down UNLV, and they were – the best team in the country at the time. 
not only that, in an era that was almost impossible to do, helped win back-to-back national championships in 91 and 92. Yeah, but I think his greatest accomplishment still is being, to my knowledge, if there's another one out there, please get a hold of me and let me know because I have yet to find any other player that made it to four straight Final Fours. I mean, and that was, yeah, that was that was ridiculous. Four straight Final Fours, 50%. We won it in 91-92. He was a teammate of Grant Hills. You know, they they dominated that them years. You know, actually, it was Bobby Hurley, Grant not. Hill, and Christian Leitner, the three of them, all on this list. And th- believe it or not, Leitner scored 28 points against UNLV in the Final Four. Yeah, Leitner scored 28 and, you know, obviously hit the big shot against Kentucky that everybody's probably seen the replay. They show it before every tournament. Um, They show it – hell, I think they show it every Christmas, you know, just to remind everybody. Probably. You know, here was was the greatest greatest Christmas present that Duke's ever gotten. (laughs) But, you know, he was – Christian Leitner was by far our greatest center. Some some would argue the greatest Duke player of all time – I would honestly make the argument that he's the most accomplished college basketball player of all time. I can't disagree with that right off the bat. Um, I I, I will give you that. I I think for me, it was the same argument I made for Ty Lawson to make for Magic Johnson. The man shined in a sea full of sharks. Y'all had some talented teams back then some very stacked teams and Leitner mm-hmm. still stood out yes, he even did. as a freshman. Yes, he did. Yep. And he was the only college so for player. Me, that was the big stand. And he was the only college player that was on the dream team. So that was an accomplishment as well, you know, cause we're talking college accomplishments here. Um, but before I go on to the Carolina center, um, I want to clarify that we did this list starting in the 1980s. Um, we, Correct. we were not, around obviously even in the early 80s uh, but we know most people know the Michael Jordan James Worthy era early 80s of Carolina basketball Um, and this person that I'm going to talk about here at the center I'm going to assume that we have the same person here um, and that is Sam Perkins probably the greatest center probably the greatest center (laughs) probably the greatest center you guys have had another teammate of Michael Jordan and James Worthy part of that 1982 national championship team. And again, when you throw in guys like Worthy and Perkins, it's no wonder why Jordan's stats were surprisingly lower than some people expect. But Mm -hmm. Sam Perkins, three-time ACC first team, two-time consensus All-American, consensus second team All-American, ACC tournament MVP, ACC rookie of the year, number 41 is honored by North Carolina. I'm honestly shocked it's not retired by North Carolina. Uh, he did not win any Player of the Year awards, but I'm just I'm shocked that somebody like Sam Perkins doesn't have his number retired at the you know in the rafters for North Carolina. But like I said, don't think there's any argument there. For me, it was the man did it where he needed to do it. I mean, I'm I'm just looking at some of these stats and accomplishments. Do you know the man shot 80 percent from the free throw line as a center? Wow, I did not actually. That's that's very shot, that's a very high percentage shot, for a center. Freshman year shot seventy four percent. Sophomore year seventy six 
uh, junior year 81, and his senior year, he shot 85.6% from the free throw line. Wow, that is very impressive. And that's, you know, imagine if most big men shot 80% from the line. It would. I'm saying it would be it would be a scary. The game would be a scary, scary thing. Uh, it would, it would be. I think it'd be a lot different if that were the case. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, let me ask you this. Speaking of the game being different, things like that. You know, we're comparing old time players, newer school players, things like that. What do you think the players? How do I want to phrase this? Do you think the players from the 80s and 90s do you think those type of teams could compete with the players of today now i know we compare this a lot before you answer i'll i'll let me say this let's assume that the players from the 80s and the 90s have the knowledge of today's game obviously players obviously players from today have the knowledge of the past but let's assume that those players from the 80s and 90s have the knowledge of today's game how do so you think me, how do you think for example fare. the 9192 Duke NCAA championship team would fare against a team like our 2015 team with Okafor and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow So for me I I don't even think it matters as far as the information they have in the game I I would take the 80s and 90s teams um I definitely think that today's teams are more talented they're bigger, stronger, faster. That's just come with evolution. But there is something about the way the 80s and 90s players, whether it be Duke, UNC, you name it, played team basketball. It wasn't isolation. It wasn't clear out. It was you were constantly moving up and down the court. You were constantly running plays. You were call, constantly calling someone else's number. So I think the talent of today's game would definitely make it close. But if I had to pick and let's say a one game, two game, three game series, I'm taking the players of the eighties and nineties simply because they're team basketball. And I truly believe you have to have a higher IQ in basketball to be able to play team basketball. Like some of these players did back then. Okay. I mean, and I, I don't have any argument with that. Um, I think, I think you definitely are onto something there, but if we're talking the college game, I think, one big reason is players stayed multiple years back then, whereas opposed to today where they're not staying, but one, maybe two years, some guys, and the really, really talented ones aren't staying three, four years. They're just, they're just not, um, you wouldn't find a player of James Worthy's caliber staying multiple years. You wouldn't find Michael Jordan ever staying three years in college today. No, that just would not happen. But you would have been one and done for sure. Okay, so let me let me rephrase the question a little bit then. How do you think players from back in the day, the sixties, seventies, eighties, would fare in today's game? Again, assuming they have the knowledge of how today's game is played. Um, I don't think they would be as accomplished as they were. I think they would very much be strong role players, obviously, with the exceptions of like you know, your Michael Jordans, your J.J. Reddicks, like some of the people we listed on our time, on our all-time list, I definitely think they still would have gotten theirs and shined. But overall, I, I think they would have been strong strong role players 
you know, borderline starters. Yeah. Well, Reddick's Redick, more the they... new school. I mean, he's only recently retired. I'm yeah, saying yeah, more yeah. players from so, from decades ago, like I said, 60s, 70s, 80s. I, I more think, I more think, um, I, I more think they would be strong role players just because, as much as I hate to say it, talent outweighs a lot. And you so, know, so you're saying because ball, you're saying today's athleticism, those players from back then would be role players just strictly due to athleticism? I think it has a lot to do with athleticism and the way the game's played now as far as the shooting. Okay. There was a lot of driving. It was a lot of, it was a lot more rougher back then. Yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, (laughs) shooters are going to shoot. What's that old phrase? Shooters are going to shoot. No, I agree. I think, I think the guys back in the day that were not known as shooters, I think they would, there would be an adjustment period. You know, let's just assume that they're coming out of college um, for sake of argument that they're coming out of college and and doing this, you know, a guy like Michael Jordan, I'm not saying that he wouldn't score coming into the NBA out of college right now, but coming out of college, he did not have a three point shot. If he came out in today's game, he would probably struggle a little bit Um, with the spacing of the NBA. I think it might be just as easy for him to score, but I feel like you have to be able to shoot in today's NBA. A guy like James Worthy, he would not be able to play the small forward in today's NBA. He would have to play down in the post. I agree. It's just it's a it's a shooter's league, you know. It's a shooter's league, but yeah, I think that was uh, I think that was a lot of fun. I uh, I was like I said, I was I was hesitant on it at first. I didn't really want to say anything positive about Carolina. Kind of goes against my better judgment. Uh, we'll come back next week. Go over some more NBA playoffs, cover some more news. Uh, maybe we'll have another. And we're going to also hit on the um, college lacrosse championship. It's a big one for me. I'm from Maryland. Yes. Very excited to yes. Talk we're going to talk some college lacrosse. We're going to change it up a little bit, get some some new sports going in there. Um, I'm definitely going to have to do a little bit of research before next week. Uh, my my uh, lacrosse knowledge isn't quite there. Well, there's some games this weekend. Uh, the quarterfinals are this weekend. And then they actually are playing the semifinals and the finals on the same weekend. That's one of the things I love about lacrosse. They play uh, the semifinals the Saturday on Memorial Weekend, and then they play the finals on Memorial Day. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Yeah. And then uh, also next week, you know, we'll touch on touch on the NHL playoffs. I know we haven't really been talking too much about that, but they're on into the second round right now. Those games will be – those series will be a little more uh, complete next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Hope you guys enjoyed our little North Carolina UNC debate. Once again, thank you for listening to the Shooting Sports Podcast with Ebony and Ivory. My name is Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name is Nick, and I'm the Ivory.